welcome to Make Change Fun and Easy with your happiness expert, Samia Bano. This is the podcast to help change makers, coaches, trainers, and healers break your chains of fear so you can create the impact and income you desire with fun and ease. Please make sure you subscribe to enjoy every episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Happiness 101 program. Hello, salam, shalom, namaste, sashrikal, aloha, hola, ciao, bonjour, buna, and privyet. I'm so happy you are joining us today because guess what? We have a very special guest with us today and it's my friend, uh, Neil Rosen, who is a motivational life coach. And I'm so happy to have you back uh, doing another episode with us, Neil. Welcome. Thank you. I love your greetings. <laughs> and it's so good to be back. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So Neil, for those people who might have missed our previous episodes together, can you tell us more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm a motivational life coach. Uh, prior to that, I was a educator for 32 and a half years as a school counselor and school psychologist. And so what I do now is that I try to help people uh, reach their personal goals, our business goals. Um, I think a lot of times people just need that extra push because of their, I think their fears, anxieties, um, maybe internal dialogue with themselves, with their negative self-talk. So I try to help people get over that so they can successfully um, achieve their goals. Yeah, that is so cool. That is so cool. And you know, the cool thing about our conversation that you're going to be having today is that normally, uh, most of the time, I reach out to people and say, like, hey, you do this amazing work and I'd love to interview you on this topic or that topic. And in this case, uh, well, Neil and I, of course, have done interviews before, but in this case, Neil reached out to me because, you know, recently I have been publishing a number of uh, episodes where I've had women um, who are experts uh, in relationships, uh, relationship coaches, and so forth. And we have been talking about different relationship issues. Um, and of course, because all those interviews were with women, we were very much giving women's perspectives on those issues. And Neil was listening to some of those episodes He's like, hey, I want to share a male's perspective. <laughs> I think that's a fabulous idea. Thank you for, for bringing this up uh, to my attention. And I am really looking forward to our conversation today. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Uh, so the last speaker I heard was uh, Dr. Marie uh, Kovanen. Did I uh-huh. pronounce her last okay. name right? Yeah, we, I call her Dr. Matt. Yeah, and I know, and I know she was a, a licensed psychologist and a dating coach. Yes. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and I just wanted to give a, a Mel's perspective. I, I agreed with a lot of things that she was talking about, but what are um, some of the things that you I, heard her say that struck you? Well, she talked about this in, intoxication, um, in love, and uh, sometimes we put blinders on because these emotions take over us, and sometimes we don't see some maybe red flags that normally uh, we would notice but since we have this emotional I guess strong emotion that she called an intoxication um, I think it sometimes blinds us of you know the person that we're dating yeah I, I, I if I remember correctly we were talking about you know experiencing the emotional cocktail uh, as it were where you know you do sort of like get caught up in, in strong emotions and feelings and and that because you know our emotions are such a strong driver of our behavior that it can it can be a little bit challenging to maintain perspective. Um, on a lot of things that we may otherwise find important. I mean, for example, I remember one of the issues that or examples that, you know, might have come up in our conversation was lifestyle. You know, like to think about uh, if you're if you're serious about being in a relationship with someone in the long term, it's important that you make sure that your lifestyles are compatible. Um, you know, whereas um, uh, in this kind of context of, oh, you, you know, you're feeling in love and, you know, you're experiencing all these strong emotions and you might just sort of not choose not to think about it or forget to think about are our lifestyles compatible, for example. So that, if I'm remembering correctly, that was one of the one of the context within which we were talking about strong emotions and forgetting perspective right so what i want to talk about and i don't even know who to give this credit to i'm I'm sure it's a psychologist or a therapist but this person mentioned the three c's Uh and the three c's are communication open communication Mm -hmm. the ability to compromise and commitment Uh uh-huh Okay. So I, th- I think these three, three, these three C's are important if you're going to have a strong, healthy relationship with somebody. Yes. And uh, there's another um, love coach. I'm going to give her credit. This is Amy Nobel. And um, she's the founder of Love and Conscious Dating. And she's, she's uh, another uh, love coach, I guess. And she came up with this. I, I really like this concept. She calls it the three, four rule dating. So there's four key principles that you should know by the end of the third date. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have chemistry with this person? Is there like a physical attraction? Do you have common core values? Is there emotional maturity with the person that you're dating? Uh-huh. And is there a readiness? Because a lot of times, I think people might have the chemistry, yeah. and they may have some of the same core values, yeah. but the other two are the important ones, I think. The emotional maturity, and are you ready to be in a serious relationship? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Tell me more. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Mari and I were talking about that as well. Yeah. So, so what's your perspective on, on like, what's the problem that people deal with when it comes to these? Uh, like, em- let's talk about emotional maturity. When you think about emotional maturity and how and why it's so important to a relationship, like, what's a problem that you see people struggling with? Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. Hope you're getting value out of it. For your information, this episode has been sponsored by the Happiness 101 program. Are you a change maker, coach, trainer, or healer? Are chains of fear holding you back from making the impact and income you desire? Using a unique combination of positive psychology and the spiritual wisdom of our most effective change makers, the Happiness 101 program helps you break through your limiting beliefs and manifest the abundance and success you desire with fun and ease. Interested? Book a free Happiness 101 exploration call with me. Your happiness expert, Samia Vano. Just use my online calendar link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Well, are people being authentic? Are they being themselves? Mm. You know, are they capable of holding down a job? Uh. Um, do they have friendships? What are what are their what are their friends like? What are their family dynamics like? Do they get along with their family partners or family members? Yeah. So that's what I would consider the emotional maturity because, you know, and sometimes, you know, I've heard from friends and so forth from males and females that people are putting on a facade. Mm -hmm. It's not who they really are. Yes. And, um, you know, a lot of times, I think, and I remember in my 20s, or even in high school, for some reason, I always felt like I needed to be doing something on weekends. You know, I I needed to either go on a date or go with a group of friends and do something. And I don't know, I guess maybe at that time I had social anxiety, but I wasn't even aware of it because I didn't like really being alone. But, you know, now being married after... 34 blessed years <laughs> and my wife's <laughs> listening to this no no but um i'm comfortable with myself yeah and sometimes I, my wife goes where are you going i'm going to the movies who are you going with i'm going by myself she goes really yeah really i'm going by myself because sometimes i find it's easier just to go with myself than try to ask friends and then you got to wait until they return your phone call or text to see if they're available. And and I just find it easier sometimes if there's a movie I really want to see, I'll go see it myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you um, were mentioning emotional um, maturity and the examples that you give of like issues that can come up in terms of 
emotional maturity, it made me think about, wow, um, like a lot of things came up for me in the context, especially like when I think about like comparing my Indian Pakistani culture and comparing that to the American uh, dominant culture, you know, there is, there is like significant um, differences in terms of what counts as emotional maturity and what the expectations are. So for example, in my Indian Pakistani culture, most of us, you know, we have a certain level of um, competence, even as little kids in dealing with other people, especially other family members, because, you know, our culture, especially if you're leading a traditional lifestyle, which my family did, certainly when I lived in India and Pakistan, you know, we were in a joint family system. So, you know, you're you're always surrounded by, by aunts, uncles, grandparents, lots of cousins, not to mention friends. Right. And, you know, more extended family that doesn't live with you. Um, and so, you know, even as a child, you know, you're constantly getting coached by your elders on how to behave and treat other people, especially family members, so that, you know, we can all continue to live together in relative harmony and, um, uh, and, and peacefulness because... It, it it's not otherwise easy like to 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 live with so many people that you have that you don't, that know everything about you and you know who feel like they have a right to speak and have opinions on your life and everything that you do i mean it takes major social skills to to be in that kind of environment and make it work you know and so that is something that I feel like I have had a lot of advantage uh, growing up in a traditional Indian Pakistani context the first 18 years of my life. But interestingly, like one of the things that I find in America when I moved here, um, and it, it's like this interesting contradiction I find where on the one hand because in America there is a lot more focus on individualism and usually you know families you know either people are living by themselves or even if they're living with their families they tend to be in smaller units so there's just you know um, just a lot more sense of freedom in terms of of um, what you can do with your life and having to answer to fewer people. You know, like for example, once I moved here, it was time for me to go to college. Um, I didn't have to answer to like 10 different people about what major I was going to choose and um, you know, what career I was going to have or if I was even going to have a career or go to college or not. I just had to work with my parents on on all of that. And it made me feel like, oh, life is so much simpler. And then once I was in college, I felt found so much independence and so much encouragement to um, like in the environment to like 
start thinking for myself and form my own opinions and see myself as a leader. And it just seemed like such a standard part of American culture, you know. And so I've definitely become more opinionated, more assertive, more confident, um, like as an individual and a lot more open also. Because the other aspect of our Indian-Pakistani culture, as I experienced it, was that we were taught that we had to keep quiet about a lot of things that we didn't like because it would cause disruption in the family and you know like create unnecessary conflicts but here it's like i found actually people like uh, like a lot of encouragement to express my opinions even about things that i was unhappy about so you know when when i see americans struggling with authenticity and not being able to express themselves um or feeling like they have to put on a facade. Um, it, it, at first, I found it surprising, you know. Um, yeah, and maybe I'll just pause there and uh, let you respond. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, based on what you were sharing about your Pakistani yeah. family, is that I don't know if you ever saw the movie. I think there's going to be a new one coming out about the Greek wedding. Uh, it's a comedy and the dynamics. Oh, my big bad Greek wedding? Right, right, right. right. Yes, gonna be a, I've seen that one. So there's going to be a third one because I think the father passes away Aww. and his last wish is for the family to go back to Greece where he was brought up. And the dynamics, I think, are very similar to what you were describing. Mm. You know, that you got cousins, nephews, yeah. you know, your grandparents living with you yeah. or... Or they're close by and they know everything that's going on. Yeah. Or it's kind of like the I don't know if you ever watched that. Um, Everyone loves Raymond. No, you no, watch that show. No. Well, Ray Romano, he plays. He's married and he has three young kids, and he has a brother, older brother that's a police officer, and uh-huh. his parents live next door, and they're always coming over, and the mother is always giving advice. Uh huh. So, uh-huh. So I was thinking that the dynamics, you know, of the Greek wedding and the Ray yeah. Romano, and I love Raymond, it's very similar to what you were describing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so like, when, when you think about uh, your friends and family and the people that you coach struggling with emotional maturity and, like, um, authenticity issues, like, what's the root cause from your perspective for that and what do we do about it well, i think like I, I was saying before i think you got to be yourself you can't pretend to be something else because i know the people now in their 20s and 30s i think are doing this online dating and then they put a, a profile themselves and describe you know their interests what they like what they're yeah. good at you know what they're what their job is or career or occupation is and and from what i've heard from my friends and just people sometimes at work is yeah. that people kind of stretch the truth <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or they maybe show a picture of themselves on their profile like maybe five or ten years younger than what they actually are now mm. and so 
you know, I think that's not being honest when you're meeting this person for the first time. It's like, yeah. you're not the picture I saw on, online. Yeah. And I, I thought, I, yeah. I, I want to share this, and I don't even have my daughter's permission, but I don't even think she would be upset with this, is that my daughter um, did online dating, and the last gentleman she met, she actually married. Mm-hmm. And this, I think this was before COVID or during COVID. I don't know. They just had a lot of uh, conflicts because of work and so forth. They were just talking all the time, texting and and chatting on Zoom or some type of social media. They didn't actually meet each other in person for a month. Uh. But they were kind of like good friends by that time because yeah. they, they learned a lot about each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, that's it, one of the things about um, conflict is that mm, on the one hand, it's obviously not pleasant and a lot of people are not good at handling or dealing with conflict i know i have major conflict avoidance tendencies like especially in my younger days i was extremely conflict avoidant because you know i didn't have emotional maturity i was like very emotionally fragile and i couldn't handle even small conflicts i couldn't so um you know and my best strategy was to just run away from any kind of emotional upheaval or or conflict that i perceived coming my way um but the 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 thing is that as you mature and you grow and your capacity to deal with conflicts it actually can strengthen your relationships and uh, um, help relationships heal in ways that's not possible until you go through the conflict. Um, I know, for example, I remember um, this one conversation with my aunt is coming up particularly in my mind um this was like a few years ago uh and it was the first time my aunt found out that i was a survivor of child sexual abuse and the person who sexually abused me um is actually a member of my extended family and so this was the first time my aunt was finding out about this and obviously it brought up a lot of emotions for her and you know like for me because you know i've now been on a what 30 plus year journey of healing from that trauma so i was like doing okay um in terms of you know like my emotional management and so forth um but you know it brought up like some strong like you see what was actually happening to give a little bit more context is that until like just a few years ago, I had never talked in public about the fact that I was a survivor of child sexual abuse. And I was at a point in my life where I felt it was extremely important for me to begin to speak up publicly um, about my experiences so as to educate 
and um, help with prevention of child abuse, particularly like child sexual abuse, because in my experience, you know, one of the biggest reasons child abuse continues to exist and that we are not able to take better preventive action around it is that there's so much silence. Like people are not willing to talk. Uh, survivors, many survivors are don't feel empowered to talk. They're, they're not at a stage in their healing where they can talk. And the friends and family don't want to talk and oftentimes will explicitly, like I was explicitly told uh, by those people in my family who knew that you must not talk about it. And so you carry this burden of, you know, having to be silent and keeping this the secret. And it like really, um, it's like a huge burden to carry. And it's- Oh uh, yeah, especially for a child. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, like for me, I got to a point like a few years ago where I was like, no, I have to start to speak out. And it's not just about me. Like this is something I need to do to educate and, you know, help take preventive action for, for our society as a whole. And so my aunt was very concerned about what that would mean for our family. And particularly the person who who abused me and how their reputation and et cetera, et cetera, might be affected and this and that. So we had like, and so uh, you can imagine like, uh, I, I got very passionate and he did about my perspective on the issue and she had her perspective and eventually the good thing is we worked through uh, what we needed to work through and she understood my perspective I understood her perspective and you know um, uh, we, uh, we worked through it and, and the thing was that we had to sort of go through that conflict I remember feeling like such a sense of relief uh, um, having had that conversation as tough as it was um, I felt such a huge relief and a sense of I just like because ah. like once I got through that conversation with her then it became easier for me to get through it with other family members and you know just and then just speaking out in public after I dealt with the issue with my family felt also so much easier and um well that empowers you yeah you know before you probably felt guilt and maybe blame and the family felt shame yeah yeah exactly there's like so many so it, it was not just me feeling guilty there's like so many members of my family when they found out um, they were like, oh my God, how could we have let this happen? Because remember, I'm coming from like a joint family system and we're like supposed to be so close and, you know, all of that. And so right. for a lot of my family members, they were like really shocked that this could have happened, you know, um, in our own home and someone that we loved and trusted and continue to like to this day, uh, you know, um, this person you know he has status and a certain position in the family and so forth so anyway uh, the point that I was trying to make is that conflict can actually like once you learn to uh, 
engage in it in a constructive healthy way it's actually really helpful for relationships in some ways and in some ways it's really necessary um to to improve the health and strength of a relationship right well i think it, you know every relationship good or bad you learn from it it's a learning experience yeah so i wanted to talk i i read this article yeah and it talks about the five rules for dating that if you want to have a serious relationship uh-huh and i thought this was really good so number yeah. one i think this applies to male and female number one be clear about your objectives what is it that you want and what is it that you're looking for in a partner mm. Two, are you looking in the right places? Mm-hmm. You know, going to bars and stuff, in my opinion, is not the right place. You know, there you're probably looking for a one night stand. You know, be honest with with your intentions. What are your true intentions? You know, are you looking for a serious relationship? Are you just looking for someone just to have or a rebound type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Um number 4 search for common ground with that person. So that again goes back to the core values. You know, and if yeah. you're ready to be in a serious relationship and yeah. is that person also emotionally mature. Yeah. And then this last one I think is really important is take your time. Mm-hmm. You know, when I I was dating I would get into relationships too quick and I mm-hmm. think I scared some of my dates off because oh. I would get I would get too intense. Uh-huh. And I know one, I know one that, you know, I liked her very much and she has the same name as as my wife, Sherry, and she wasn't this last one, she wasn't ready for a serious relationship. She was focusing more on her career. Mm. And I think those dynamics have changed now too. Yeah. For males and females is that the male was once you know in the 60s or how I was brought up, you know, the male took care of the female, he was the breadwinner and so forth. Well, things are are totally different now. I yeah. mean, females females the number the last time I looked at percentages, there's more females going to college now than males. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And uh Females are catching up on the salary scale, you know, the that glass what do they call ceiling. that? The glass, the glass uh, ceiling. ceiling. Yeah, yeah, the glass ceiling is starting to disappear that women are getting you know the same salaries as men now. So they don't depend on man financially. Uh, women are looking for now someone who compliments them or someone who uh can support their goals, you know, and accept them for who they are. Yes. So uh, that's a really um important uh issue I think also like especially again sorry I keep going back to my Indian Pakistani culture. <laughs> But you know that that's where I come from. So uh you know when we think about gender roles uh again in Indian Pakistani culture again if you're leading a traditional lifestyle which most of my family was uh and continues to do um you know like you were saying Neil it, it was very similar where the man is the breadwinner the woman stays home um but things are starting to change and in like my generation and actually my generation after me wow there uh i actually have 
nieces and nephews now who are old enough that they're getting married and into relationships uh, themselves um things are changing like even those of my family that are still back in india and pakistan things are changing the dynamics are changing the and and a lot of the change as you were saying for us also is coming from the women um so how how does that sort of um like again cuz i would love for you to share from a male's perspective um uh, like if a woman is um you know in the space where she's like okay i i i want a career and i want to balance uh my career with different aspects of my life and i want a partner who will help me and support me in those goals um what are the challenges that come up for the men who want to date or be in serious relationships with these women and how do you recommend that they deal with it Yeah well first of all I think um before you get in a serious relationship you got to you got to be comfortable with yourself and yeah. love yourself because mm-hmm. I I think a lot of time people go into relationships and they're trying to find someone who's going to make them happy. Mm. And if you're not happy with yourself, how do you expect to find happiness with someone else? I mean happiness has to come internally and i think a lot of people aren't happy with themselves and they try to find someone to fill that gap and i think that's a big mistake um yeah. and then i think the man has to be comfortable with having possibly a woman make more money than they do mm. you know and be able to accept that you know i think you know I've heard conversations with some of my friends, you know, they joke about it, you know, oh, you know, she makes more money than you, you know, or you're going to be a stay-at-home dad and and things like that. So, you know, you got to feel comfortable with that as a man. And I don't know, I you know, things are are changing, you know, in relationships and on the rules and I think we need role models and I don't know if those role models are out there yet. because of the changes in the dynamics of relationships. You know, on, on TV, they like when I was growing up, you know, <laughs> our role models were the like the Brady Bunch, my three sons. I mean, I'm dating myself, but you know, those that's what I saw on TV and that's what I thought were family dynamics, you know, mm-hmm. and what I saw in my family. or or with my relatives you my my aunts you know and uncles and cousins yeah and that's what i base what i know or what you see in the movie theater and a, a lot of times what you see in the movie theater is is delusional it's not true it's a fantasy yeah. and i think i think sometimes uh you know people look for that type of relationship based on what they see in movies and it's it's not out there it's not true and i think they get disgruntled upset frustrated because they're looking for something that doesn't exist yeah so if uh, because from what i understand can can like when i think about you know why men might struggle with um let's say something like having their 
their female partner um, working and possibly making more money than they do. It's because for so many like millennia, you know, men have been raised with this idea that their value comes from their being the breadwinner, from their being, you know, the providers of the family. And now this role is being taken away from them or it's um, uh, not that it's, yeah, that it might be not needed, that it, they may not need to fulfill that role because they have a partner who is equally financially um competent and independent and so forth and so I imagine that um, then you have to find some other purpose to your life some other way to give meaning to uh, why you're going to work and what work you're going to do and so on and so forth um, so what are you seeing like so you mentioned you're not seeing a lot of great role models in terms of I don't think the role mo- I don't think the role models are out there on how to deal with these new dynamics of what having about, a of, of, of having a, a woman who's who's financially secure who really doesn't need a man for the financial reasons mm-hmm. are you know a woman that's making more than a man I don't think we have those role models out there on on television or even in our own families yeah to, to show us what that looks like. Hmm. So, so where, what, how would you deal with a situation like that? Where, what, how would you create new meaning for you if you were in that kind of a situation? Well, that's what I was saying before. You got to feel comfortable with yourself. You know, if you're comfortable with yourself, I think you're more easily able to deal with a woman who's financially secure, who really doesn't need you for her finances, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. she's looking for someone who's going to support her and her goals. uh, Someone who could emotionally comfort her. Um, You know, you have very common core values on, you know, on family, you know, what I'm seeing. And even, even in my own marriage is that people are waiting longer. Mm. No, I didn't get married. We didn't get married until we were 29. Uh-huh. My parents got married, I think, like they were 20 or 21. I know my wife's, my mother-in-law, she got married at 18. Uh, yes. You know, a lot of people got married like right after high school or they married their high school sweetheart. Yes. And, and things are changing now. Like a good friend of mine who I've known for over 30 years, uh, we played tennis together now we're playing pickleball together um unfortunately he got divorced and he's in a relationship now and he's with a a woman who was married and and she's widowed she lost her husband um because of illness i think he had a heart attack and you know i asked him you know why don't you ask her to, to marry you and stuff and and she she doesn't want to be married she's kind of like financially sad and she's set in her ways she's kind of happy just dating and having her freedom and independence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um the same friend that i'm talking about his son i just went to his son's wedding he knew his girlfriend from work 
they were friends and then they started a relationship and they were living together. They knew each other for nine years before they got married. Mm. And I'm starting to think that's the new norm is that yeah. people are, I mean, people, young people in their 20s and stuff are waiting until they're more secure in their, in their, um, their occupation. Especially now in California too, with the prices to, to, to buy a home, they're outrageous. Yeah. I mean, young people today, I don't know how they're going to afford to buy a home in, in California. I think they're going to have to go to another state because the prices are so high. Yeah, and I mean, maybe they're waiting to get more settled in their careers, but maybe it's also like an issue of, of, of you know, you're, you're in a relationship, not married, but you're in a relationship and being in that relationship is how you're learning how to be in a relationship. That's how you are growing more emotionally mature, especially in the context of, how to be in a relationship because how I mean I think that's what I was saying is like where I I find like a lot of uh, advantage in the kind of cultural context that I grew up in where you know because we lived as I said in such big families and like so close with so many people you know, we were constantly getting trained in how to be in relationships, how to create relationships, how to maintain relationships. But in America, you know, there's so much focus on becoming financially independent and becoming technic- uh, technologically, becoming technically competent um, in terms of whatever work you're going to do and so on and so forth. But where is the education and training uh, when it comes to like social intelligence? How are uh, kids in America um, developing social intelligence? You, you know, um, where are they getting to practice these social intelligence skills? Um and supposedly through the through dating right right and you see i mean this is the my whole point is that when you're dating uh, if you're dating as a teenager you know what are the stats of you know teen dating violence it's like a huge problem because here are these kids they're like again you're in a cultural context in america where teen dating is normal but these teens are they 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 have like have they already they're, they're still figuring themselves out they're still figuring out relationships how to be in relationships um many of them might um, not have very good models in their own homes um or a lot of experience in their own homes are dealing with different kinds of people because like um uh uh, you know, if you're like in a small family, how many, how much variety are you going to experience in the f- a family of different types of personalities and, you know, like different kinds of like issues that come up? You, you'll be familiar with what you see in your family, but your family unit is so small that your experience is still limited. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah. so... It's like when you get in, start getting into relationships and then suddenly there's all kinds of different 
dynamics at play because it's like even with the experience that you have in your family relationships when you start to engage in a romantic relationship there are additional dynamics that you have never had to deal with in the context of family relationships i remember in my well, family i think that's i think that's why you have these dating coaches now because yes because adults never learn those skills yes and there's no one to really teach you because like in our in our culture people did get married young too uh but you continue to live with your family and so again you you were in a context where you were constantly getting coached by the elders around you and how to be in a relationship with your now new partner in life you know and and there is this whole process of the young couple being trained into how to be a couple and not yep. just a couple but to integrate into the into their new larger families uh, as well so but in america a lot of those structures are missing you know and so i agree with you yeah yeah especially single parents yeah. a lot of times there's no father figure so a a young man has no role model unless he has a uncle or someone else in the family dynamics to take his place. Mm. Yeah. So for sure I think that's one of the reasons why maybe it might even be a good thing that young people now are taking longer before they get into marriage because you know they need to figure things out because it's like with marriage i find um like i would all i i my perspective is that it's a very um, sacred uh tradition or an institution that we have and it should be taken very very seriously and um it's like in my culture like for example in america here in the american indian pakistani community one of the things that i'm seeing our people struggle with especially those who are new first generation immigrants um and then they have children over here who are growing up i i see them really struggling with um like their kids want the freedom to you know just date and figure out who they want to be with through dating but you know first generation indian pakistani immigrants um are coming from a culture where dating is not acceptable dating is not really allowed and so when they see their kids uh falling in love the first thing the parents think of is let's get them married so that they can be in a lawful relationship with each other as you know or don't they go in groups i and i i got the impression maybe i'm wrong from what i've seen on movies and so forth is that in your culture dating is more like a group thing so so depending on who you're talking to different people will give you different perspectives right but right now i'm trying to like from a traditional perspective dating whether you're talking group or individual like just two people dating is not okay dating is not okay like you cannot be just in a relationship with no um firm 
commitment or intention around marriage. It's not okay. Like traditionally, if you're going to meet with someone, you know, different arrangements can be made so you can meet with them, but it has to be with that clear intention, intention. that you're meeting that person to evaluate them for the purposes of marriage. So, um, you know, and in that context, yes, you know, you might go out like the young couple might get, or the couple, potential couple, might get sent out with a bunch of, you know, the uh, their friends or cousins, um, so that they can have some space to talk uh, away from the adults. Um, but not all adults will even allow that in, uh, for their children. I mean, if you're really traditional and strict. Uh, they will insist that no, you you meet in the home, or you meet where where the family is present, and then you may be allowed to sit in a corner, <laughs> away from but still within sight of the adults. You know, so there are all these things going on. Um, so you have which, like a chaperone. Yes, yes, you need to have. So the, there are those expectations, and then you know it's like once you are married, you're not left alone to just figure things out by yourself as I was saying before you know the, the expectation and the practice is that even after you're married you continue to be you know you're just integrating with a larger new like two families have come together now and so now you 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 know it's not just about the couple getting together about the families getting together and so everyone's kind of learning how to integrate with each other and the adults take the lead in terms of I mean the by the adults I mean the elders in the family take the lead in coaching you um, how to make this integration as smooth as possible so uh, yeah you know you can get married young but you still have all of the support and you're enveloped within this structure and this context where you know you you're in training to to be in a good relationship you learn over time so for 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 our teens in america they there's so much teen dating violence that happens because who's teaching oh, they have poor role models it? Yeah, and even for if like the 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 people in their twenties and uh, you know who are like dating and stuff, it's, it's a similar problem where it's like how do they get to learn? Some they just have to struggle through the relationships that they form uh, and learn through that struggle. So. Yeah. Uh, so I want to share this. I I I read this in a man's magazine that. What makes a man feel connected to a woman is hugs, kisses, smiles, offers of gratitude, praise, and words of affection. Okay, okay. And then also it talked about what men want most in a relationship, and I think this applies to the woman as well, is that they want commitment and fidelity, but the word for fidelity, they use the words being faithful, loyal, and trustworthy. Okay, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was 
I wanted to bring this up on, on first dates because I've talked to some of my friends and they're telling me these these stories on their first dates that that drives them nuts. And I, it was from this article too. And I go, oh my God, this is exactly what some of my friends were telling me is that on first dates, people are just too negative and they complain about their personal problems and their past relationships. And if you do that on a first date, I don't think you're going to have a second date. <laughs> Especially talking about your, you know, personal problems that you're facing now, and uh, you know, talking about past relationships that just didn't work out. I know. Yeah. I just don't think that's really a, appropriate to do on a on a first date. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, it makes me think of a question because you know we have talked earlier about the idea of being authentic and being honest um, in how you represent yourself um, to the person that you want to date or that you are dating so how do you create that balance or draw that line between like so now uh, so, so, so say you're on a first date and then you're like okay well I'm, I have to be authentic I have to be honest uh, but then there's also expectations of don't talk about this or don't talk about that in terms of things that may be on my mind. Um, so how, where is the guiding principle in how I determine um, what's appropriate to share at what point uh, while remaining authentic? I think you got to give the relationship time to develop. Mm. You know, I think maybe probably a couple months before I would share maybe, you know, personal, maybe financial problems that you have or, you know, past relationships that, you know, especially I guess if it's a divorce and you're dealing with uh, a spouse about, uh, you know, dealing with a, a child that you share, something like that, I, I think I would wait a, a couple months until the relationship uh, had an opportunity to, to build or to develop. Uh, um, but if you just playing a little bit of a devil's advocate here, it's like if, uh, if you wait for like, let's say a couple of months, um, might it not be too late because like for example let's say if you have some serious financial problems and you wait for a couple of months what like the the, the person the, on the other side is like oh i don't want to have to deal with this person's financial problems like maybe if you if they knew more beforehand more upfront they could make a more informed decision about or if you have like a uh, emotional trauma that you're still dealing with from a past relationship but you don't because it's going to affect your current relationship uh, but you don't um, talk about it up front or at least give someone a heads up then you know two months in and then you know the emotional you start to tell them about oh I still have this emotional trauma and this is how like uh, it's still affecting me and then maybe it's like well, that's what i think it's a, yeah. appropriate then at that time you know a couple months down the road you know if you, 
if they're at that point where the relationship, I guess, is getting more physical and, and the person doesn't feel comfortable because of their traumatic experiences, I think this would be a time to explain why you have these hesitations or why you're tightening up. You know, I think this is the perfect opportunity to explain why you're acting this way. Mm. So the other person understands, you know, where you're coming from, that it's not personally them. It's, it's stuff that, that you're, you know, still trying to deal with. Hmm. Yeah, no, because the example that sort of like came to my mind was, um, cause I, 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 yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, I, but I, I just want to get, cause I, I'm just thinking about this. Yeah. I have a friend now yeah. who's in a relationship and I keep on asking him, why are you still in this relationship? I don't get it. I think it's just out of comfort because his, I, his girlfriend can't hold a job. She's always getting fired. He's always helping her, um, like doing a resume or a cover letter because she's not that electronically uh, capable. Um, she's had financial problems. He helped her out once and he told her that, you know, I can't afford to do this all the time to help you out financially. You know, you're going to have to ask your brother or, or maybe you need to go back and live with your brother. Mm. So I'm, that's, that's another thing where uh, about red flags. And to me, that's a red flag. Yeah. You know, that if, if a, a good friend of yours is saying, you know, why are you with this person? You know, if they have so many financial and personal problems, why are you still with this person? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean, Neil, that maybe this is like one of those cultural differences uh, popping up and in our perspective there, you know, so for example, in my culture, again, from a traditional perspective, like when you start to evaluate someone for the purposes of marriage, um, because we're not going to date right like where we're when we start uh we're, we're as i mentioned before that if you if we are going to meet with someone it's with the intention of am i going to marry this person is this person a good person for me to get married to you know we want to know a front like what all the problems are or potential problems are like you know you actually investigate each other's families their your background your history and you want to know what the downsides potentially are and if you're willing to deal with them like people want to know like uh what is the financial situation of this person uh do we want to deal with the uh, with that with those consequences we want to know if there's like history of you know disease or illness or something uh and you know and then you you be like uh, and then you make a decision as a family or as an individual about do i want to deal with that <clears throat> you know and so we 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 want to know up front like where the problems are in fact you know there's a very strong um like in general you know we are taught in our in our community in our culture the ethic is that in general you don't reveal your family's issues and problems to people who are outside of the family 
it's like a big no-no. It's like you, if there's a problem someone's dealing with, um, like as family, it's your responsibility and your duty to support them and help them the best you can deal with that problem. And it's also your responsibility and your duty to um, not um, be telling everyone else and the world in general about what your family member is struggling with because you you don't um, want to have other people um, outside of the family, you know, saying or thinking bad things about them and this and that. But the one exception is when there's a marriage alliance um, um, being made or when there's an investigation, the families will uh, initiate uh, for the purpose of evaluating whether a marriage should take place or not. That's the one situation within which we are told um, if you know something about this person that might negatively impact um, the person that, you know, the, the, the relationship that, you know, is being considered, you need to be honest and share about that. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, one of my cousins was getting married. And, you know, as Muslims, in, uh, we don't, uh, we're not allowed to drink or do any kind of drugs. And so, because we are a practicing Muslim family, you know, we were very upfront and clear uh, that we said, uh, you know, we are a practicing Muslim family. And in our family, we do not consider it okay for, for people to to consume alcohol um, or do any other kind of drugs. And so we, you know, we have this expectation that whoever marries into our family, the boy, he, he, he's clean in that way, you know, that he doesn't do drugs or drink alcohol. And um, the, the, there were like so many um, proposals that were brought to to our attention that we had to reject on because they didn't meet this one criteria but how how do we know whether the boy drinks or does drugs or not you know because these things especially in India and Pakistan like no family will will ever say it like, in general like that oh my boy drinks uh, especially if they're like Muslim family, right? They, they're they're going to hide that. They're not going to talk right. about it. But in the, when when there's a marriage thing going on, um, investigation going on, then that's the time for people to be upfront and be honest and be like, "No, my boy drinks," you know. And um, so so we have this approach and this expectation that you know we want to know what the problems are upfront. <laughs> That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So, no, I, it's a, yeah. So I wanted to talk real briefly because yeah. I don't know how much time we have, but about some of the red flags to to look out for. Sure, sure. The one is to make if the person makes you feel bad about yourself. Mm, yes. If they're second guessing their feelings towards you. Yeah. They don't listen to you. If they don't support your goals, 
but mm. they pressure you to get physical before you're ready. Yeah. Relationships are all about them. This is a key one. They don't get along with your friends and family. To mm. me, that's a big red flag. Negative feedback from friends, like I was telling you, you know, the, what I was asking my friend. Um, yeah. You never meet their friends or family. Mm. And the person's like calling you crazy all the time. Like, like if you're. If you think that the person's cheating on you, you just brush it off and say, "Oh, you're crazy. It's all in your mind." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know,、uh, I agree with those. Those are all really important red flags to be aware of. I think the one red flag、uh, that made me think about context is important. Is、um, you know your friends and family. Having issues with your potential choice, because immediately one of the contexts that popped up in my mind was racism. For example, like、um, you know, like um, um, or classism.、Um, you know, like in my okay, let me stick to、um, examples of in my Indian Pakistani culture.、Um, In India and Pakistan, you know, classism is a huge issue. Like people are very class conscious. How much money you have, what your class status is, these are these are huge issues. People are very very conscious. And as times have been changing, I think for the better. You know, the younger generations, we are becoming less class conscious, or at least we are trying to create more equity. Um, and be less、uh, driven by class consciousness and the decisions that we make, uh, uh, especially in the context of relationships. You know, where historically, traditionally, the expectation was, for example, in the context of marriage, that you would marry into a family that was your equal, or the exception was the mar woman. To marry up, but a man must never marry down, because the man had to maintain the status. You see,、yeah. and when a woman marries up, she assumes his status. But if a man marries down, he loses his status, and that was not considered acceptable. So either you marry equal, or the woman marries up. But you know, nowadays,、um, you know,、um, the younger people. Uh, are, are are challenging those notions, and、um, you know、um, they're trying to create positive change from my perspective around these things. And and when they do, they meet a lot of resistance from their families,、um, and and then it becomes like a real issue of you know like social justice and. Moral standing, like what moral stance are you going to take when your family is opposing your choice of partner? And the basic reason they have no better reason for making that opposition other than class consciousness and you know、um, and and being discriminating、uh, in the in this classist way, you know. 
And so if, if, if from a moral perspective, you, you are taking a stance against this kind of class of thinking and your family is opposing you, well, then, I mean, you have to, of course, make your decision how far you're willing to stick um, to your stance and how far you want to go in terms of, you know, um, taking the opposition of your family. But, you know, that's one context I, I immediately thought of where maybe you're facing opposition, but it's okay because you're taking a moral stance. Yeah. Well, this is a very complex <laughs> topic that we brought up today. Yeah. <laughs> Relationships. Oh, indeed, indeed. So I, I wanted to end with this yeah. one thing, I, this post I saw on Facebook. So it says, choice, chance, and change. So it says, you must take a choice to take a chance if you want anything in life to change. Uh, and I think that applies to relationships is that you got to put yourself out there and you got to have a positive attitude in order to try to find your partner. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And thank you so much, Neil. We always, whenever we're talking, we lose track of time. And you're right. <laughs> it is time for us to wrap up for now, for sure. But thank you again so much for taking the time to be with me today and um, having this chat. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yes. And so I will just end with a reminder to all of our listeners to check the show notes because we will share Neil's links in there so you can connect with them um, and learn more and get more support uh, from him as a motivational life coach uh, whenever you need it and whenever you're ready for it. So until we connect next time, I wish you lots and lots of peace and joy. Thank you.